most of us, a successful week of revision comes from us not having to nag or coerce our children. Well, not too much at least. The idea that there could be a symbiotic relationship where parent and child actually grow and thrive throughout all of this might feel like a fiction too far. But is this holy grail of parenting really as far from our reach as we might think? Hello and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this, our third season of the podcast, we're chatting with parents, students and teachers to hear how things are going. Specifically, we're interested in the highs and lows, the trials and tribulations in the run-up to exams in 2020. We'll be covering everything from trouble getting going to burning the candle at both ends, from students who are overzealous and anxious to those who are underperforming yet nonchalant. Through these shared real-world experiences, I hope that you'll take comfort that you're not alone. And perhaps more importantly, I hope that you'll take away some insights and advice to support your own team so that they'll not just survive the exams, but thrive in the preparation. So, if you're a parent, a carer, or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, I'm chatting with mother and son duo, Claire and Tom. Tom took his GCSEs last year and has gone on this year to college to take his A-levels. Hello both, and thanks for joining me. This is actually really exciting. I think you're our first ever parent-child combo so let's start with how have things been with you? Well, we're tickety boo now. I mean, obviously, it's, it's been a bit of a, a tough time, as you can imagine, because you know we went through uh, home learning because of the COVID pandemic, and that was pretty tough to do GCSEs through throughout that. Now that Tom's gone to do his A levels at college, it's been a, a lot easier. Mm, I would agree. Yeah. And of course, because your GCSEs would have been last year, so the, the second year of not having exams, how did you how did you find that experience? Was it quite stressful? Were you pleased that there weren't exams? Well, the way our school did it, I'm not entirely sure if all schools did it this way, is we still did two lots of assessments. We had a few weeks where it was just pure exams. Hmm. So there was still quite a lot of emphasis put on the exam criteria and arrangements. Uh, but they did take more into consideration other exam protocols and uh, other ways of assessment, such as like work we've done throughout the years. I think I probably preferred it that way, going off like coursework and things like that to determine how well we did. Uh, when I'm in exams, a lot of the time I will get flourished and lose track of where I am. And yeah. So it, does, it gives you a sense, doesn't it, that it's a more rounded feel of, of how you've done throughout your entire course when you take things like coursework and and other uh, moderated pieces of work into account but as you say actually an awful lot of us I think forget that although there were no exams there was no final exam in actual fact the pressure has been on for more of your final year than it would have been for previous years because actually mocks could have been taken into account and you had a couple of them as you say so did the teachers sort of gear you for that mounting stress and pressure do you feel to an extent yeah uh, i assume they or the way they did it differently to us i assume is unorthodox in comparison to normal doing exam uh, in july method hmm. but it involved things like assessments in class i, I knew we were doing one uh, every week for english uh a lot of the homework I was doing, like we would be reminded that this might go towards our final grade so that we should probably try harder in that. Hmm. 
And did you get the feeling that that was actually becoming a ploy? <laughs> was, it, was it the kind of thing that teachers would just say, throw in liberally, oh yeah, by the way, this homework might be assessed, <laughs> to, to, to rally the troops? Yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, there, there was obviously quite a lot of confusion around whether or not the exams were going to take place or not. And so we didn't know whether or not it was just going to be assessment work or exam work or what, because the decision was made in England relatively late. And we weren't quite sure what assessments were going to be taken into account. Um, at least I wasn't. Maybe I missed the email. So, yeah, it, it was a pretty stressful time. Um, and my son has got a, a, an education health care plan in the old terms he statemented for severe dyslexia, dyspraxia and attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, which weirdly worked in our favour. Oh, how so? Well, because he had to go into school. He didn't have to, but because he had a statement, he could go into school, which meant he received one-on-one learning. Okay, great. So so that actually helped him, I think, interestingly, that he got very intense one-on-one, or two. There was two of you, wasn't there, sometimes in the classroom. Mm. And so he would get a lot of additional support. And we were very lucky in that he had a excellent I mean I can't uh, you know words fail me as to how brilliant she was his his teaching assistant was amazing with him although not a teacher herself she perfectly capable of being a teacher should she have wanted to have been and so she used all the the study aids that you would need you know flashcards and repetition and and helped him personally with revision which um, I don't think we would have got if we hadn't been in lockdown Mm. Every cloud has a silver lining. So yes. It's nice to know, actually, that, Tom, you were able to get that kind of support. Did you find then that you were doing a lot more stuff at school and so you weren't doing as much studying and revision at home as you as you might have done in, in other years? Um, well, especially during the lockdown period for several months in year 11, the work that we were given would have obviously, obviously like, took longer than it would in a lesson because if you don't have the teacher explaining it to you in person, a lot of the time it's reading. And even though I did have help from the teaching assistants, often they or they wouldn't be as knowledgeable about the subject as the teacher. Of course. So I found the work did take longer on the whole. Uh, so that would have contributed to the fact that it probably was a different experience. And... Mm. I probably did less revision in comparison to normal work as I would have planned to or would have liked to, but just because I was doing more normal work. But when he was studying at home, we did introduce, so I I briefly had a stint as a teacher, not for very long. I left it because it wasn't for me. But during the time when I was a teacher, I taught children who were sort of 16 to 18 um, some of whom had, you know, uh, issues, um, some of whom were at FE College. And quite a lot of the learners had issues around how to study, particularly how to sit still and study. <laughs> and so I learned about kinesthetic learning. And so I applied that with Tom. And so when we were studying at home, when we had to do, like, he obviously is somebody who's severely dyslexic. English was not on the top of his list. He, you know, he struggled. I mean, reading and writing is not his forte. So I was trying to think about other ways to address that, to think about how he could learn better. I took my rather limited knowledge of teaching and thought of kinesthetic learning, which is learning by doing. 
So basically what you do with somebody who can't sit still, who learns by doing, is you figure out which particular technique will work with him. And the technique that worked with Tom was going around and repeating things. So we would have these things where he would learn a quote from Shakespeare. We would read it through together. He would repeat it. He would then walk around in circles <laughs> repeating it, which if anybody was looking at from the outside, they would think was utterly nuts. <laughs> Is this a dagger I see before me? Repeat after me, Tom. Right, okay. And then he'd walk around rather enthusiastically repeating it. Um, but it worked, and it worked because it stuck with him, because with a kinesthetic learner, they do learn by doing. And although it seems completely bonkers to have your son going around in ever-decreasing circles <laughs> in your living room while repeating these quotes, um, it worked. It's the way that this particular learner, bless him, um, learned how to do, uh, how to retain the facts. It's quite interesting because we've, um, we've had people on the show before who've talked about learning styles and the fact that actually they're not they're not something that, that apply or should be applied because of um, the fact that each different style could work if uh, if it's tried in different ways. But what I'm getting the feeling is that actually here we're not talking about a learning a learning style so much as actually an approach, a preference that you had for that particular subject. And that actually, if Tom's simply not able to sit down and and sort of churn away through a book even though the vast majority of us would find that uncomfortable and laborious actually for tom that's that's a it's on a different level so finding a way in which actually you can break through that to to make it more palatable more interesting it sounds like a fantastic approach was it the kind of thing that you tried with other subjects as well like maths and science i mean do they do they do they work in the same kind of way is it almost like a distraction uh, most definitely, yeah. You mentioned science, like that if there's a specific formula which I need to use or uh, will come up in the exam, I would just go around our uh, downstairs living room repeating that formula. It was a widely used method among through my lessons. I wouldn't have any idea what it was. I was like biology, you know, I have got biology O level. This is how old I am. I did the O levels, not even GCSEs. So I have a vague grasp of other things like physics, nah, no idea. But I would just used to say, I need to learn this. And I'd repeat it at him and it would sink in. So even without me having any idea about what it was I was talking to him about, he knew and it engaged him. And it, and it also engaged his memory as well, which is the most important thing. So you weren't trailing around on the carpet behind him, chanting no. equals MC squared. <laughs> no, no, I would just sat happily on the settee with a cup of tea. Exactly right. <laughs> and the thing that's, but that's what we want to do as parents, isn't it? And we don't want to, well, we're not in a position to take the GCSEs and study to the point where we're teachers in order to then pass that knowledge on any more than we'd want to. But we want to be able to support them and find those ways of, of sort of helping our children. Tom, I'd be really interested, and it's difficult because your mum's sat right next to you. Um, imagine she's not there. What's said on the podcast stays on the podcast. <laughs> How supportive was she compared to, I guess, a continuum where it might be uh, naggy? <laughs> How far did you feel that she sat on that, on that scale? Well, I'd say a good place to be at. So my best friend, his parents are very strict uh, with... Things like bed at eight, very little bad food in his diet, multiple hours of revision every single day. And it definitely helps him succeed in college. Like he gets A's and nines consistently. But at the same 
time I wouldn't for that kind of style and my mom knows that but there's also other people I know who like they are very relaxed parents like not really force them to pay attention and do homework and do stuff like that but I'd say you're a good mix of the two like if if there's a lesson that my mom knows that I'm not putting in any effort and that is something I need to do she will be like Tom you need to do this come on let's go do it but I think you trust me to do the right level of provision for most things. I'm thinking I should screenshot. So as well as the podcast, obviously, we've, we've, we've got a video chat. And um, and Claire's positively beaming at this. I think uh, parents, parents, I think, are listening to the podcast going, oh, forget it. Oh, Parent of the Year Award has gone to. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet of you. <laughs> I think it goes back to my own experience of, of learning in that if anybody had nagged me, nobody did actually, but neither of my parents were bothered if I got GCSEs or O-levels as it was in A-levels. But had anybody put loads of pressure on me, I probably would have rebelled against it. And I think my approach is I'd know my son and I, I also understand his learning difficulties. And I know that to put too much pressure on him would make him anxious. Whereas to put too little pressure on, like I'm too busy, I want to go watch the telly or feed the cat or you know go for a walk or all the other things that I love doing would make you feel neglected. And then he would think, well, what's the point of doing this? Why, why should I bother? If my mum's not interested, if she's not engaged with me. So I took the approach very much of knowing my son and his needs and his temperament. And basically, I think gentle chivying is is the approach that I took. <laughs> I mean, you, you make that sound very, very easy, um, that like, too much pressure and, and too little pressure. But um, I'd suggest from my own experiences that actually some of the physics formulas would be easier to recite than than that balance, I think, that, that so many of us struggle with. Was it a case of trial and error? I know that you talked about your own experiences, so you had a, a point of reference. And as you said, knowing Tom, just I'm interested to know whether or not you sort of arrived at this as a eureka moment or whether it was something that sort of built over time? I suppose one of the things is I've, I've been closely involved with Tom's, well, fighting Tom's corner, basically, because of his education issues. When he first was at school, you know, there wasn't, in his first year, there was a, a bit of a, a mix-up and they, they sort of thought he was thick and I wasn't having that. So I went in and, and fought his corner and bless him, he responded to that in a positive way. And I think we have a partnership. So I believe in him. I fight for him and fight for him to get support and to get advice and to get what he needs. And he, bless him, despite the fact that he is severely dyslexic and it's no laughing matter. It takes him a long time to read stuff even now. He just wants to succeed. So I'm very blessed in that I have a son who is on the same journey with me. He wants to succeed. I want to help him. And so I think we're lucky in that way because, I mean, we did have times, I will admit, you know, when he was sort of year seven onwards, he would like, oh, I don't want to do this. It's too hard. It's too difficult. I'm not interested. I'd want to do something else. I want to go and play Minecraft or, you know, do anything really. <laughs> and then it's just a case of, again, the gentle chivying and humour, using humour as well. I mean, I think that's so important. And also sitting down and listening to your child and saying, what is it that's that's concerning you? 
And if it's like, well, what's the point of doing this? I'm not going to succeed anyway because it's too difficult. It's too hard. And I, you know, I'd rather not give it a go and fail than give it a go and fail because then I've definitely proven that I'm thick, you know. So certainly I think when he was early on with his sort of year seven, year eight, we dealt with self-esteem issues by saying, look, this is fun. You can learn stuff. And then now, now I don't go at any time. And he's not saying, hey, mum, have you heard about this? And he'll come back and he'll tell me something fascinating that he's learned or seen or done. So it's sort of in, in, engendering that sense of, look, learning's great. You can learn about all these fantastic things. And yes, you have to learn, do your, your exams and that. But the other thing that he struggled with was all the stuff he didn't want to do. He didn't want to do English. He didn't want to do history. (laughs) So getting through your GCSEs, having to do subjects you really are not interested in was another thing that we tackled. It's like, yeah, okay, you don't like doing history. That was my degree, history and politics I did. He he hated history. (laughs) I never managed to just transfer my love of history to him. But I love politics, so it's kind of evened out. Yeah, and he's doing doing A-level politics. (laughs) (laughs) Keep your history but I'll take the point. <laughs> yeah. Because that love of learning has, has obviously shone through because although you've had a, a steeper educational journey, I think it's fair to say, than um, the most, actually you're, you're at college now and you're taking uh, three A-levels. Yeah. And which are your A-levels that you're taking? Uh, computer science, mathematics and politics. So as, as I said when we were talking beforehand, I'm certainly not an easy set. How are you finding that step up from GCSEs to A-levels in terms of level of difficulty and amount that you need to take in? One thing that I have been struggling with is, uh, if you didn't know, the format for colleges often is you have a lot of free periods. Mm -hmm. So like in my old school, it was just you have five allotted hour lessons a day, five days a week, 25 hours a week of school. My current school, it's only four and a half hours per subject. So that works out to 13 and a half hours of lessons across my entire week, which on a first look, you'd think, oh, great, almost half, but in very different. Uh, You've got to use that time to revise a lot more than I would in my previous school. Things like getting the motivation to spend the next hour and a half revising was something I struggled with, Uh, but we've... Me and someone at my school, her name's Wendy, she's been great. Uh, we've done stuff together, uh, like set up revision sessions. So, like I'll just go to a room and there'll be like other kids who also struggle with like self-motivation to sit down and do work. Uh, so uh, an expression what I've heard been thrown around is body doubling, where if there's just another person there to go or you're doing your work, then it helps immensely. And is that, so Wendy is another student, is she? Uh, no, she's the... CN. CN, assistant. Of course. Okay. So yeah. it's someone who's in almost teacher-like, I guess, then to, again, that sort of gentle chivying along that you're quite used to at home. <laughs> yes. I think that's one of the things that a lot of students find in, in the step up from GCSE into A-level is, as you say, free periods, whereas I'm fairly sure schools and colleges refer to them as study periods (laughs) Um, but it's that mindset isn't it I've now got a fantastic I've got an hour off before my next lesson I'll see you up in the common room and I'll we'll play a game of pool and have a hot chocolate whereas I think the idea is theoretically at least that that sort of that studying happens so you 
take on board what you've just learned or you revise some stuff or you prepare for the next lesson. It sounds like you're talking from experience there, Nathan, with the going up to the common room to play, uh, <laughs> play a bit of pool. I'll, I'll ask the questions, Claire. <laughs> no, there's absolutely no need to turn the spotlight on me. <laughs> but it is fair to say... and and so your subjects when you come back do you find yourself now also um you've got a little while i mean you're a year and a a year and a bit before your exams will will take place for your a levels but presumably mocks are happening as well um just in case i would imagine and are you finding that you're using the same kinds of techniques that you'd been doing before or have your methods changed a little bit as you've got older I'd say that one we were mentioning earlier about the walking around, I probably do less so now because I do most of my revision at school. Uh, my days at college are longer than my days at my old school, so I mm-hmm. would try and do all my work there, try being the keyword. But yeah, I couldn't really walk around whilst somebody reads the work to me if there's multiple people around. Of course. So I do, I do that less nowadays, not because it's something I wouldn't prefer to, but just because general people being there. And so then you're reverting to, because you talked before about the the teaching assistant when you were at school during lockdown, um, talking you through study aids such as flashcards and other things. So this is now the sort of more stereotypical or neurotypical, I guess, um, ideas that people would have for for what they're revising. And how are you finding you're getting on with those? Uh, I'm getting on fairly good with them. Uh, I'll have like websites I can go to and resources I can use like that to try and do it, just revision. And there'll be a plethora of like practice questions for any subject I can find online. So I do use things like flashcards and stuff like that when I can, mostly just practice questions. So I think, I think as well, something's happened as, as he's got older, because when he transitioned to, to do the, the college course, I whipped along to talk to the, um, the head of special educational needs and said, he, he needs a, a teaching assistant. And Tom said, no, I don't. I'm not having yet another <laughs> middle-aged lady perched on my elbow. And I said, why not? And he said, well, it's embarrassing. I don't want to be singled out. These people don't know me. And, you know, and I was like petrified. I was thinking, how's he going to cope without, you know, a teaching assistant next to him? But I also had to trust him that he feels as he's maturing, that he's getting his own strategies to deal with studying and how he learns. And at 16, almost 17, he'll be in a few months' time, um, there comes a point where as a parent, you have to kind of let go a bit and trust your child to do the right thing. And if they don't, then it's be a bit of a bear, but they are, it's part of growing up. Hmm. No, absolutely. And I think for, for many of us, GCSEs were, I think, had become that last stand where we can sort of more actively be involved in GCSEs. We felt the need perhaps to gently chivvy along in your instance or coerce and bully <laughs> in others um, <laughs> on their way through to the exams. But once you get past that stage, as you say, Tom's made a decision. There were there were a number of things that he could have chosen to do. He's chosen to do these A-levels and actually he now needs to and fortunately has step up the, to the plate to get on with that and sort of forge his own way. Interestingly, so he did nine GCSEs and got them which was, oh no, you didn't get history. <laughs> I, I didn't get history. You didn't get history. Not because of the lack of like, intelligence. <laughs> Not that I'm hurt very... or anything, you understand. <laughs> Personal <laughs> slight. Banging on about that. Uh, <laughs> but when he picked his A-levels, 
you know, computer science and maths, both of those don't involve a lot of text. There is some text, obviously, in both subjects, but reading is not um, a huge amount. Whereas in politics, it is. Mm-hmm. And when we went along to the college and I said, he wants to do politics, I said, oh, he's, he's only got grade four in English, uh, so he can't do it because um, we, we need grade five. And it was like, listen, if you know what you have to go through to get to the grade <laughs> four, and he really likes politics, trust me, he will thrive. And that's what's happening. So mm. he's got a passion for the subject, luckily. Today, Boris, Prime Minister, is going through all sorts of chaos. And uh, one of the first things Tom said to me when he came through the door today was, uh, so how, how did Boris fare at uh, PMQ's Prime Minister's Question Time at midday today, which, of course, naturally I'd watch. So I filled him in on it like you do. And I think that having both of us having a passion about it is brilliant. Mm. Uh, I sort of have a passion about computer science. Uh, maths, I have no idea <laughs> at all. I don't know where to start. I can barely <laughs> add up. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it is important. Having something where you can be involved and be interested, I think, does help as a parent, doesn't it? Because actually you've got then something you can talk about and talk around the subject and sort of spark ideas. And, and I think that that's the kind of thing where you see young people excel as if actually those those triggers are going off and sort of like the light on behind the eyes to really want to get involved and, and tackle issues. Absolutely. I think it's, it's very important. And I think, again, as your team grows, having common ground that you can talk about things, especially if they're learning stuff, is brilliant. I remember talking to another mother of a teen saying, how, how do you make sure you keep in touch with your teen as they get older? She said, figure out something you can do with them. In her case, it was paddleboarding. I'm not one for paddleboarding myself. But politics, yeah, they're happy. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Tom, I wonder if we can close with any thoughts or advice that you might have. So obviously we've got a cohort that are going through mocks. Increasingly looks likely that the exams will take place, but you never actually really know what's what's going around the corner. So what what might you say to the year 11s who are um, coming through now facing mocks and, and exams? Set yourself a goal is something I found was helpful. Because like I, I knew I needed a pass in at least five subjects and I needed my English, my math and my computer science to go on to do the specific courses I wanted to do. So if you have something like, for example, history, which you really don't care about, don't give it the same amount of attention you would to say English for me, where I struggled with it greatly. If I gave those two subjects the same amount of time, I would definitely have failed English and gotten a moderate grade in history. Or probably better than moderate because I gave so much work to English. So know what you need to do to get where you want. And if you're like one of those people, like I said, my friend earlier, who gets nines in all the subjects because he does so much revision, it probably won't be that helpful. But if you're just an average person, set goals. Yeah. Work out what you need to do to get where you want to go. I think goals, goals is great. As you say, if you know what it is that you need to do as a benchmark, so you can, you know, you need to work to that. And then having something aspirational as well. So wouldn't it be great if, so you can keep driving forwards as well. I think it's the kind of thing that can help with motivation. Um, certainly if you think you're struggling. I think it's a really interesting one with the history, <laughs> accepting that actually you've got, you've got a limited amount of resources. So your time or bandwidth or whatever else it might be. And so having conversations with teachers about actually, look, 
I'm, I don't think I can take all of this on to know whether or not you should sit it. Would you have felt better dropping history as a subject, maybe more than sitting the exam and knowing that you were inevitably not going to do so well? Probably. Well, it, it's not that I actively despised history. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a concession. I think you but you earned enough brownie points early on <laughs> to ride the storm. <laughs> I mean, whether you like it or not, history is a helpful thing to know about. I, I, I love that. I love that outlook, actually, that, that it's not all about the exam, that there's an element to the subject that's interesting. That love of learning, again, that um, that your mum had talked about moments ago actually has come through and I wonder how much of that maybe has helped at least form a basis for what you'll learn in politics so I think actually it's a, it's a really interesting point like if we were in some world where all education was just your parent teaches you what you need to know or if it was a homeschooling environment and like I wasn't setting goals for like going and doing a computer science a level in politics then I would probably give in history more effort and more time because I, I somewhat enjoy it, just not as much as any of my other GCSEs. I can't help but think you're backpedaling now, little Tom. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> so so on that bombshell about how history was the worst thing you ever did ever, <laughs> Mum, history graduate. <laughs> so so similarly, Claire, I'm wondering if, from your own experiences, um, what advice you might give to parents um, of teens who are coming up to their GCSEs. I think there's a few bits of advice, really. I mean, obviously, support your child, be interested in what they're doing. All of us have got busy lives. I, I work full time. Be interested in your child and listen to them. Listen to what they say. And I think another thing that is really important at a time when kids are so utterly stressed out by having to achieve, having to get the GCSEs, having to get A-levels, having to get to university or their apprenticeship or whatever, life is long. This is important, sure. GCSEs, A-levels, going on, getting your qualifications, getting into an interesting career is important. But it's not the end of the world if it you don't get everything and you don't get everything first time. It's better if you can do it. If you don't, there's always next year. And I say that as someone who left school with two O-levels. I was an academic reject. But then I went on to do four O-levels, three A-levels, um, joint degree, postgraduate, and ended up doing a pretty good career. So, again, I look at that experience and think, you know, there's always tomorrow. Don't put too much pressure, put some pressure, but don't overwhelm your child with your own anxieties about how they should succeed and what they should do, because it's only going to drive them mad. <laughs> so also laugh with them, take them out, take them on trips, release a bit of that tension and feed them good food. Let them have chocolate every now and then. Look after them, basically. <laughs> How fantastic was that? What a fantastic pair. And it's not very often that you hear about a perfectly functioning parent-child relationship, certainly not when it comes to revision, or to be fair, many other parts of life when our children hit those terrible teenage years. We often look at this as their rebellious stage, and it's true of course that our young people are using this time to find their own identity, they're exploring and pushing boundaries and so on. But it's also about us as parents. I mean, up until recently, 
we made all of the decisions for them, whether that was arranging who they were going to play with on a play date, or choosing and buying their clothes, right through to determining their bedtimes, if you can remember what those halcyon days were like. The transition to letting them have control is not an easy one for many of us. And that's what's so great about listening to Claire and Tom. You get a real sense that they're in this together. It's a proper partnership. This isn't parent lead and child follow. And hearing from Tom too, I think you just know that this isn't an insta-perfect whitewash that's been presented for a podcast. A lot of this might be down to the fact that Claire has always been very visibly fighting for Tom, and he's aware of it. All too often, I think our children lose sight of the fact that we're in their corner, and we're in their corner always. Now, it might not be as active or as easy to see as with Claire and Tom, but every parent has their child's best interests at heart. And I guess that might be what we need to do, make that more transparent. I mean, surely that's the best way of getting around the suspicion that our best intentions are often met with. But it's not all about how our teens can adapt. Listening to Claire, you can't fail to notice that she is all about understanding what Tom needs. And I don't just mean marching around the living room quoting Shakespeare to help him memorise quotes. It's also knowing the levels of pressure that Tom would respond to. The gentle chivying along, as she put him. For me, the clincher here is in trying to understand the individuality of our teens and not project our own desires, approaches and anxieties on them. It's easy to say, of course, but I think it takes a lot more deliberate focus to actually do this in real life, especially talking from my own experiences. What I come away with listening to Tom and Claire is that Claire isn't just lucky to have such a strong relationship with Tom any more than she's imbued with some superhuman parenting skills. She's clearly aware of Tom and all of his fabulous uniqueness, and Tom knows it. Perhaps, as a result, he then also realises that his mum is always there for him, and that has given him the best possible foundation to forge his own way and fulfil his own potential. My thanks to Claire and to Tom for taking the time to chat, and to you, of course, for listening. If you'd like to be on a future episode and share how things are going with you, then please do drop me an email. The address is hello at thestudybuddy.com. And if you're looking for ways that you can support your own young person to fulfil their potential through revision, then why not head over to the Study Buddy website? There you'll find a whole host of information about our innovative time management and study organising approach. And you'll also find a blog packed full of useful articles, hints and tips. To find out more, why not make a beeline for thestudybuddy.com. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. And if you did, I wonder if you'd mind leaving us a review and, if it's not too much to ask, a five-star rating. It really does help us to reach other parents who, just like the rest of us, are looking for ways of making sense of all of this in the run-up to exams. Of course, please don't forget to share the link to this and other episodes on your social media weapon of choice. It's all greatly appreciated. There'll be another episode next week, so please don't forget to subscribe and follow the Study Sessions podcast.